Chapter Eleven of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore, by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Eleven: Choosing Her Own Way. Marjorie stood staring at her locker as one in a dream. Hurry up, Marjorie. Jerry Mace's loud, matter-of-fact tones broke the spell. Behind her were Irma Linton and Susan Atwell. The faces of the three were alive with suppressed excitement. Jerry caught sight of the tell-tale locker and emitted an indignant snort. Mary took her advice, Susie. If I were the President of the United States, I'd have that Mignon LaSalle deported to the South Sea Islands or Kamchatka or some place where she couldn't get back in a hurry. It would be a good deal farther than boarding school, I can tell you. She ended with an angry sputter. Marjorie faced the battery of indignant young faces. What is the trouble, girls? She tried to keep her voice steady, though she was at the point of tears. What's the matter with your friend, Mary Raymond, Marjorie? Continued Jerry in a slightly lower key. "'Has she gone suddenly crazy, or—or—' Jerry hesitated. She could not voice the other question which rose to her lips. "'Girls?' Marjorie viewed her friends with brave, direct eyes. "'You know something that I don't about Mary. What is it?' "'It's about Mignon,' blurted Jerry. "'Susie says the minute she landed in her seat she began talking to Mary.' "'I made signs to Mary to pay no attention to her,' broke in Susan Atwell. "'But she didn't understand what I meant, and I couldn't explain, with Mignon sitting right there. "'The next thing I saw, they were walking down the aisle together, "'as though they had known each other all their lives. "'Yes, and they came into geometry together too,' supplemented Jerry. "'But that's not the worst.' "'Tell Marjorie what you overheard, Susie.' "'Well,' began Susan, looking important, "'when I came back to the study hall, "'just before the last class was called, "'they were both there ahead of me. "'Just as I was going to sit down at my desk, "'I heard Mignon tell Mary "'she'd love to have her share her locker. "'Mary was looking awfully sober "'and pretty cross too, "'as though she were mad about something.' I heard her say, How can I get my wraps? And Mignon said, Go to Marcia Arnold and see if you can borrow Miss Stevens's key for a minute. If she hasn't come back to school yet, very likely Marcia has it. Tell her you want to take something from it and don't care to bother Miss Dean. You can easily do it because you haven't a recitation at this hour. I'd get it for you, but I haven't any good reason for asking her for it. I couldn't hear what Mary said, but she left her seat and I saw her stop at Miss Merton's desk. Miss Merton nodded her head and Mary went on out of the study hall. Mignon saw me looking after her and smiled that hateful smile of hers. I was so cross I made a face at her. Then the third bell rang and I had to go to class. I wasn't sure whether Mary did as Mignon told her to do until we saw you staring into your locker and Jerry called my attention to it. 
Marjorie listened gravely to Susan's recital. She stood surveying the three girls in silence. "'What has happened, Marjorie?' questioned Jerry impatiently. "'Or isn't it any of our business? If it isn't, then forget that I asked you.' "'Girls?' Marjorie's clear voice trembled a little. "'I think I'd better tell you all about it. "'At first I thought I couldn't bear to tell anyone, "'but as long as you all know something of what happened to Connie and I last year, "'you might as well know this, too. "'Miss Archer made a remark to me about our misunderstanding yesterday "'when Mary was with me. "'Mary asked me afterward what she meant. "'I wanted to tell her.' but I didn't feel as though I had the right to until I asked Connie if I could. I was going to ask her last night, but before I had a chance, she asked me not to tell Mary about it. She was afraid Mary might not understand and... and blame her. Of course I knew that Mary wouldn't mind in the least, but Connie seemed so worried that I promised I wouldn't. Jerry Mace's frown deepened. Susan Atwell made a faint gesture of consternation, while Irma Linton looked distressed and sympathetic. "'I thought perhaps Mary would forget about Constance,' went on Marjorie. "'I never dreamed that Mignon was coming back, let alone she and Mary becoming friendly. I saw them go down the aisle to geometry class together and followed them. You see, Mary and I had planned to recite in the same section.' I asked her to wait and recite later, but she wouldn't. Then I changed my hour so as to be in her class. After class I caught up with her. She began to tell me something about what Mignon had said of Connie. It made me so cross that I interrupted her, almost before she had started. I told her she must have nothing to say to Mignon, and she... I guess I hurt her feelings, for she walked off and left me. Marjorie ended with a half sob. She turned her face to the locker and leaned against it. The tears that she had bravely forced back now came thick and fast. What a shame, burst forth Jerry. Don't cry, dear. We'll straighten things out for you. I'll go to Mary my own self and give her Mignon's history in a few well-chosen words. She patted the shoulder of the weeping girl. "'You might know that Mignon would bring trouble, hateful girl,' was Susan's indignant cry. "'Never mind, we'll fix her.' "'I'll do all I can to help you, Marjorie,' soothed Irma, who was known throughout the school as a peacemaker. With a long, quivering sigh, Marjorie turned slowly and faced her friends. "'You are very sweet to me, every one of you.' she said gratefully. But girls, you mustn't say a word. I promised Connie, and I'll keep my word until she releases me from that promise. I'm going over to see her tonight to ask her to do that very thing. She'll say yes, I know. Then I can tell Mary, and it will be all right. I'm sorry I made such a baby of myself, but Mary and I have been chums for years, and... Her voice broke again. Jerry wound her plump arms about the girl she adored. "'You poor kid,' she comforted slangingly. "'If you must cry, 
cry on my shoulder. It's nice and fat, and not half so hard as that old locker. You are ridiculous, Jerry. Marjorie laughed through her tears. There, I feel better now. I'm not going to cry another tear. Are my eyes very red? I don't care to have the public gape at my grief. Come on, children, it must be long after twelve. I suppose Mary is home by this time. Naturally, she wouldn't wait for me, she added wistfully. As a matter of fact, Mary had waited. Once she had removed her wraps to Mignon's locker, she had been seized with a sharp attack of conscience. She felt a trifle ashamed of herself and decided that she would ask her chum to forgive her and allow her to put her wraps in Marjorie's locker again. At the close of the session, she made a hasty excuse to Mignon, seized her belongings and, hurrying out of the building, took up her stand across the street. When at twenty minutes past twelve Marjorie did not appear, her good resolutions took wing, and sulkily setting her face toward home, Mary left the school and the chance for reconciliation behind, and angrily went her way alone, thus widening the gap that already yawned between herself and Marjorie. It was twenty minutes to one when the latter ran up the steps of her home in an almost cheerful frame of mind. The hall door yielded to her touch, and she rushed into the hall, her clear call of, Mary, re-echoing through the quiet house. I'll be down in a minute, answered a cold voice from the head of the stairs. I'll be up in a second, laughed Marjorie, making a dive for the stairs. The next instant she had caught the immovable little figure at the landing in an impulsive embrace. "'Poor old lieutenant. I'm so sorry,' was her contrite cry. "'I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Listen, dear, I'm going over to see Connie this afternoon after school and ask her to let me tell you everything you wish to know about last year. Then you will understand why—' Mary freed herself from the clinging arms with a jerk. "'If you say a word to Constance Stevens, I'll never forgive you.' she cried passionately. I won't be made ridiculous. Do you understand me? You could tell me without asking her if you cared to. I'd never say a word and she'd never know the difference. But Mary, I promised her. Marjorie stopped in confusion. She had not meant to mention her promise to Constance. She had spoken before she thought. So that's the reason, is it? choked Mary her cheeks flaming with the humiliating knowledge. Thank you. I don't care to hear your old secrets. You may keep them for all I care. She whirled and started toward her room. Marjorie caught her arm. I haven't any secrets that I wish to keep from you, Mary, she said with quiet dignity. Last night at the dance, Constance asked me to promise I wouldn't say anything to you about the trouble she had with Mignon LaSalle during our freshman year. We were upstairs in her room. I was mending my flounce. It got torn when we were dancing. I had intended asking her permission then to tell you, and when she spoke of it first, I hardly knew what to do. I didn't like to let her think that you were curious and— "'How dare you call me curious?' 
Mary stamped her foot in a sudden fury of temper. I'm not. I wouldn't listen to your miserable secret if you begged me. Now I truly believe what Miss LaSalle told me. You and your friend Constance ought to be ashamed of the way you treated that poor girl last year. I'm sorry I ever came to your house to live. I'd write to father to come and take me away, but mother would have to know. She shan't be worried, no matter what I have to stand. You needn't be afraid. I'll not make a fuss either, so that General and Captain will know. I'll try to pretend before them that we're just the same chums as ever, and you'd better pretend it too. But we won't be. From today on, I'll go my way and choose my friends, and you can do the same. Mary Raymond, listen to me. Marjorie's hands found the shoulders of her angry chum. The brown eyes held the blue ones in a long, steadfast gaze. Mignon LaSalle is only trying to make trouble. If you knew her as well as I know her, you wouldn't pay any attention to her. We've been best friends and comrades since we were little tots, Mary, and I think you ought to trust me. No one can ever be so dear to me as you are. Except Constance Stevens put in Mary sarcastically, twisting from Marjorie's hold. Why, that very first day when you came to the train to meet me, I could see you liked her best. You can imagine how I felt when even your friends spoke of it. If you really cared about me, you would have written to me of every single thing that happened last year. You promised you would. You are very anxious to keep a promise to Constance, but you didn't care whether you kept one to me. As for what you say of Miss LaSalle, I don't believe you. I'd far rather trust her than your dear Miss Stevens. What has happened to my brigade? called Mrs. Dean from the foot of the stairs. It is five minutes to one, girls. Come to luncheon at once. We are coming, Captain, answered Marjorie in as steady a tone as she could command. Then she said sorrowfully to her companion, Mary, I feel just the same towards you as always, only I am terribly hurt. I wish your way to be my way and your friend's mine. If you are sure that you would like Mignon for a friend, then I am going to like her for your sake. But we mustn't quarrel, or not, not speak, or... Let General and Captain know that. Marjorie's words died in a half sob. It doesn't make any difference to me whether you like Miss LaSalle or not, retorted Mary, ignoring Marjorie's distress. But if you say a single word to either General or Captain about us, I'll never speak to you again. With this threat, the incensed lieutenant ran heartlessly down the stairs, leaving her sadly wounded comrade to follow when she would. Luncheon was a dismal failure as far as Marjorie was concerned. She tried to talk and laugh in her usual cheery manner, but she was unused to dissembling, and it hurt her to play a part before her captain of all persons. Mary, however, found a certain wicked satisfaction in the situation she had brought about. Now that she had spoken her mind, she would go on in the way she had chosen. Marjorie would be very sorry. 
there would come a time when she would be only too glad to plead for the friendship she had cast aside. But it would be too late. The moment the two girls left the house in the afternoon session of school, a blank silence fell upon them. It was broken only by a cool goodbye from Mary as they separated in the locker room. But during that silent walk, Marjorie had been thinking busily. Hers was a nature that no amount of disagreeable shocks could dismay for long. No sooner did a pet ideal totter than she steadied it with patient, tender hands. True always to the highest, she was laying a foundation that would weather the stress of years. Now she dwelt not so much upon her own hurts, but rather on how she should bind up the wounds of her comrades. What had been obscure was now plain. Mary was jealous of her friendship with Constance. She had completely misunderstood. If only she, Marjorie, had known in the beginning and then there was Mignon. If she had stayed away from Sanford, all might have been well in time. Mary was determined to be friends with her. Marjorie knew her friend too well not to believe that Mary would now cultivate the French girl, from sheer obstinacy. There was just one thing to do. She had said to Mary that she would try to like Mignon for her sake. She stood ready to keep her promise. Perhaps, far under her mischief-making exterior, Mignon's better self lay dormant, waiting for some chance, kindly word or act to awaken it into life. What was it her general had said about the worst person having some good in his nature, and that sooner or later was sure to manifest itself? How glorious it would be to help Mignon find that better self! but she could not accomplish much alone. She needed the support of the girls of her own particular little circle. She was fairly sure that they would help her, but how had they better begin? Suddenly Marjorie's sober face broke into a radiant smile. She gave a chuckle born of sheer goodwill. I know the very way, she murmured half aloud. If only the girls will see it too. But they must... It's a splendid plan, and if it doesn't work, it won't be from lack of trying on my part. End of chapter 11 Recording by Ashley Jane